She's one of the country's most loved tailors, rising to the top of what is, well, a traditionally male industry. My guest today is Savile Row tailor Alexandra Wood. The Eyes Have It podcast. New perspectives, personal stories and eyewear journeys. With your host, Jason Kirk. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Eyes Have It podcast. I'm Jason Kirk, founder of Kirk & Kirk. I came up with the idea of this series so that I could sit down with artists and creatives to talk about their lives, their careers, what drives them, and uh, not forgetting, of course, what they wear on their face. Let's waste no time in saying hello to my guest today, Alexandra Wood. Hi, Alex. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm great. Really nice to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Kind of start with a really simple and basic question. How did you start in tailoring? I've always had a love of um, shopping and I actually spent my um, childhood shopping with my dad and he would actually give me a budget to buy like new seasons clothes each uh, spring, summer and autumn, winter. And so we'd go out, but I'd always end up suggesting ideas to him and making him spend even more money. And he was like, do I really need these expensive shoes? And I was like, yes, because, you know, it's quality and you're investing in yourself. And so over time, he's now, you know, got a quality investment wardrobe. It was all to do with bonding and we'd, you know, go and have a meal. And we'd always talk about, you know, the shop assistants and kind of wanting it to be a relaxed, chilled experience. But we'd always find with luxury, it was always a little bit snooty. So I think these things always sort of got planted into my mind and eventually became, you know, the brand that I wanted to create. But in terms of actually tailoring, I kind of fell into it because I love fashion, but I knew I didn't want to be working for a fashion brand as such. So it's really interesting how opportunities came to me really around tailoring. So I worked first off for Shanghai Tang, where I was the sales assistant, but they'd have a bespoke tailoring department downstairs. And I'd always disappear downstairs and they're like, uh, you don't work there. And I was like, ah. Oh. So um, I started just spending a lot of time in that bespoke tailoring department. And I think they got fed up telling me to go back upstairs. I eventually got a job there as bespoke tailoring assistant. And that's where it all started, really. You were very young when you got that job, weren't you? That that is a beautiful, beautiful store. But you were you were really young when you started there and that had that position of responsibility. Yeah, I was in retail for a long time, Harvey Nichols, Selfridges, so always at the higher end. And I'd actually worked at Shanghai Tang as um part of an agency and I left my C V there and it apparently got hidden under a whole bed of CVs. And then they asked if I wanted to come back and be then hired officially as the tailoring assistant. And then the tailoring manager left the next day and I said, oh, could I have his job then? And they're like, are you completely crazy? And I was like, I don't think you have anyone else, so I'm willing to give it all I can. And if I'm no good at it, you can sack me. (laughs) Brave opportunist, all of those things. I thought, you know, if someone doesn't ask for the opportunity, if I don't ask for the opportunity, you don't get it. Alex, can I go back? There was something you said really a a little bit earlier that, that caught my attention. So you used to go shopping with your dad. Where did you go shopping what, and what kind of shops? So it was kind of high end, high street, I guess. So like Hugo Boss, Oliver Sweeney, Levi's. So nothing overly exuberant. But then sometimes we're going to Armani and, um, you know, it's slightly higher end and just more for the experience. Like, yeah, let's just go and have a little look in here. What did that experience represent to you? Well, I like 
luxury in terms that, you know, it's nice and crisp and there's not just tons of clothes staring at you. That can be quite overwhelming and it doesn't appeal to me. But it was just the hierarchy thing for me was always a no-no. I'm really happy that over the years that luxury has become more inviting, engaging and relaxed. But I do still feel like in those department stores, you get that kind of, and it's not going to show up on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> They're sort of looking down their nose at people like, can they afford it? You know, you get that feeling. And apparently it was proven that some people like that because they feel like they've got to prove their worth that they can be there. It's not my cup of tea. The whole experience of shopping online, in a store, in different stores, buying a brand in its own brand shop or buying a brand in, as part of a department store, that the experience is everything, isn't it? Yeah. And funnily enough, this makes me feel and sound very old. Is that the online shopping did not exist when I started my business? No, me neither. I can remember. I can remember getting an electronic typewriter and I thought I was the height of modernity. Yeah. And a little screen, a tiny little two inch screen. I'm like, look, you can see the words coming up. I know. It's funny, the tech then, it's like my first mobile was like graphite Motorola and it looked like car phone. And I remember the smell of it and it's like pager and it's so quick. Now it's just, you know, iPhone, iPhone, iPhone. But yeah, it's amazing, really. Do you miss that? Do you, do you hark back to that? I guess there's a kind of a much more of a personal uh, link and relationship in the business that we were doing in those days compared to now. So much has changed and evolved. What do you think? I mean, I really enjoy social media because it means that you can get your brand and uh, personality out there more and sort of connect with people that way. It's just a, a way that people should use it. I mean, it's social media, so it's always remembering that it's actually just being like a friend and chatty and, and useful rather than selling media. But yeah, it was much simpler 16 years ago when you just had a bog standard website. And all I do every day was apart from seeing clients, was write blogs. So it was really, it was just very simple and I quite like that simplicity. There wasn't, you know, all the, the other, now it's like, what platform should I be on? It's endless. It's very complicated, isn't it? And, and you started off studying fashion. Yeah, so I did. I'm the kind of person that likes to know everything about everything within my topic. But I did textiles, fashion styling, photography, professional pattern cutting, um, so I did imperial tailoring. So imperial tailor is a, a Chinese method of tailoring. And the lady I trained with, she basically drew directly onto calico, also known as a toile or a mock-up garment, and then would cut straight to fabric. So it's really quite a brave way to tailor because it's not your paper pattern, your toile, your fabric. It, it kind of cuts out a few stages, but it's quite dynamic. With Savile Rose Hillary, you have your paper pattern, which is all sketched out based on the client's measurement. And you, you see these uh, patterns all lined up in the uh, tailors, and then it's moved on to the fabric and taken through that way. So it's just slightly different methods and, and ways of doing it. And do you maintain traditional values and traditional techniques across all aspects of your business? Yeah. So with our bespoke tailoring, we we do the Savile Row tailoring method. It's just, again, one of those things that I find fascinating that I know a different way to do it, but we stick to the traditions because we're not, you know, doing oriental designs for our clients. And how accessible are your 
techniques to your consumers, your customers that come in? Do you show them what you're doing? Do you share it with them? Um, we don't, which I was thinking social media. I should probably do more videos of all the cuttings. I've got an endless list of like, oh, we need to show this and we need to show that because it is intriguing and it's all the things we kind of take for granted in the business. You know, people like to see that authenticity. It's just like, you know, you get the day-to-day where you're just so busy looking after clients, seeing clients that's like, oh, I forgot to take a picture of that amazing new coat or, you know, it's really cool new fabric. I feel like I need like Gary V's got this guy or someone that follows them around and takes pictures and videos. That'd be useful. Everybody should have a photographer that follows them around all the time. Of course. Yeah. When Karen and I go to the factory in France, we always take videos, just little things. And, and it's amazing what comes up afterwards. And people do really respond to it on social media and they, they really... They really get into understanding techniques, but I, I imagine, especially with your traditional values in the in the way that you that the values that you bring to your collections, it must be very appealing for people. Yeah, we have um, done some videos actually. I will bring them back where they're stitching the buttonholes, and it's quite relaxing watching it as well. So it needs to happen a bit more. I think it's a good idea. So you transitioned from making women's clothes. That was your that was your direction in the beginning, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, the Shanghai Tang, it was all women. And then uh, one of the ladies said, oh, I don't suppose you can create an outfit for my husband. And uh, I thought, you know, I like a little challenge. And I thought, yeah, fine. Okay. And actually, that's the moment I really realized that I loved the simplicity of menswear. And it was kind of missing because so then and, and now, just so much women's wear. I wanted to do something different. I like complexity, but I like simplicity as well. And I like the fact that men's wear essentially is a jacket, trousers, t-shirt, and a shirt, shoes, some accessories. I mean, you know, whereas women's wear, it's endless hourglass, A-lined, you know, and quite complex. So which women's wear designers do you admire? Uh, I do love Christian Dior. I think it's for me, with what I do with my men's tailoring, it's the shape around the waistline that's really key. It's really underrated. They're kind of that curved into the waistline. And okay, men don't want to have a feminine body. But when my clients say, oh my gosh, as I say on my website, uh, we reintroduce men to their waistlines again because it's all about the cut. And that's what Christian Dior does so well where it's just all focused on that tiny waist. I'm very happy to have my waistline focused on. I'll be around in about 10 minutes. Got it. That'd be great. <laughs> Tell me about your first retail venture. Back in the day when I would go shopping for my clothes, um, I loved Naf Naf. And actually, the probably the biggest memory was in Paris with my parents. I sure it was like National Lampoons or 40 Towers. But we went out in the day and went to Naf Naf. And it was something about, you know, being in Paris and it just felt quite chic. And I just felt, you know, like I've got these amazing things and it's so exciting. I remember this T-shirt and also Tonsaton they used to have and it had um, a washing line with T-shirts on it. And I felt so proud about it. And I think that's the thing with slightly more expensive thing. You feel the quality and I felt special. And that has also become a, a memory as well. And, and how do you integrate those things that, that you noticed as you were learning about fashion? How do you integrate them into, into your retail space? Yeah, quality is everything, but also 
what comes before they've seen a product is how you interact with people. So I'm known for um, big bear hugs and everyone now, um, I think I've probably said it, write it so much. People come to me and go, hey, big hug. I'm doing a big hug. <laughs> it's kind of cute because uh, I remember not seeing a client ages and I went, oh my God, like, you know, my long lost friends. And I said, how's your apartment? Like, I remember your red banisters. And they were like, how do you remember that? But it's remembering things. And we, so I have a tagline I created probably just a couple of years ago, which has been be seen the way you deserve. Because I do believe that as humans, we want to be seen, probably very appropriate for what you do. But yeah, so it's really the inviting. And that's why we say we make it fun, enjoyable, and stress free because men or our clients tend to not particularly enjoy shopping. So this isn't a shopping trip where you've got loads of people around you or someone trying to sell you stuff you don't need or things that are just in that shop. It's like we're creating ideas for the client based on what they're telling us. We're picking up what their natural personality is, what's important to them. So it goes deeper than um, the tailoring itself, but it has to be quality as well. So it's that real nice balance of Absolute luxury, flattering, but um, unique design, but with a really nice, friendly, slightly cheeky approach. It, it, it's amazing that you say your communication when we started talking to each other it was gave an immediate warmth. And what I love when I look deeper into into your work, your communication, your uh, your website, everything about the way that you conduct your business. It's very much about listening to the client, understanding their experience. I guess in the same way that Karen and I do. Yeah. We're trying to understand people and reflect their personality through their clothing, through their, their I don't really like to, to talk about glasses as an accessory because they are glasses just on their own and they're important in their own way. But you clearly try and draw information out of your client to understand who they are and what they want to be. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's some uh something I don't share too often that my mum actually has had has, um, severe depression. So it was kind of my dad's and I's shopping trips were a part of, you know, let's have our own time together. And, you know, when you live in that environment, it's, you become sensitive to people's needs because you have to navigate around that differently. And I think it served me well for the business because I'm very, once I'm hypersensitive, but I'm empathetic to how people feel it's quite a vulnerable place for a man to say I just don't feel that I look as good as I could because you know they're working so hard and they're busy and they've got the kids and they've got all this pressure but it's actually they're not taking care of their outer shell which is so important because it's their brand and it's time to you know for them to put their hands up and go I think I want to look better than this and it comes with an age as well so it tends to be around 45 where our clients make that decision that the time has come for them to invest themselves. And I think as a result, we end up with really amazing clients that we love working with. Like my colleagues always say, they're so nice. And I went, absolutely, because I will not work with someone that's not. You know, it has to be fun for everybody. The Eyes Have It podcast is brought to you by award-winning eyewear designers Kirk & Kirk. For more info, find us on Instagram at Kirk and Kirk or visit our website, kirkandkirk.com. Mental health is an issue that comes up in 
pretty much every podcast, every question, every every conversation in some way. And what I'm hearing from what you're saying is that you're looking after the inside and the outside and they're all connected. And there are other conversations I've had with people about kind of like when you're feeding yourself and you're, you're feeding the physical and the mental and all those kind of things as well. But you clearly see the connection between the way that somebody presents themselves uh, or the way they want to present themselves and the way that they feel inside. Yeah. I remember... Um when I had a shop, so we've moved to a design home now, but a couple of years back, and this guy, he was probably 65, and he turned back and he said, oh, Alex, I have to tell you, he said, I am, you know, 65, and I've never had so many compliments as when I've worn your stuff. And it, he's evolved and changed and kind of, you know, I say it was a proud moment when people bought other pieces. You know, I, I understand that not everything can be bought from me, Uh, but you know so they'll buy other pieces I'm like you look really cool and you know they feel good exudes a whole different uh you know vibe and then he's uh, his wife sadly died a few years ago so now he's got a new girlfriend and I think she appreciates the style as well so it's all of these you know things that are really important it's funny when you say about the message on LinkedIn because I remember doing networking with a guy years ago and he said you're so funny he said your emails are like you're talking to me down a pub and my dad used to say I was quite colloquial your language do you not need to be more serious and I was like I don't think I can I can't not be me um because then that would be really weird bit of a mismatch if I'm really serious and they you know come in and then I'm doing all my dad jokes <laughs> it, it, it's interesting. I go, go ahead with the dad jokes. That's fine, especially on this podcast. They're very welcome. But it, again, it's language is is an externalization. It's like in the same way that clothing is. It's it's how you portray yourself. So it's very important. And and, and I have to say that the way that you communicated with me, even though it was in writing at first, really stood out and really captured my attention. It was very warm. So when you listen to somebody, when, when a client comes in and they spend time with you and you have a cup of coffee together and they tell you all the great things and the things that they want to be, and they trust you to create something that will transport them to the place that they want to be, it's a lot of responsibility. And do you, do you feel vulnerable when you do that? I feel excited. I feel it's something I'm just really confident about. And sometimes I say, you know, in business or when people are profession that people could become more tired of it and go, oh, I feel like, you know, I've done this for years, but actually I just love it more because I've become more aware of styles and what suits individual types of people and lifestyles, professions, skin tones. So I take it like really serious on a a lot of levels. A book is coming on it all because I feel like I've got a lot to talk about when it comes to style that's a little bit different to your usual kind of Sure, wardrobe pieces it's actually a bit on a deeper level but yeah I just it becomes easy for me because when someone's talking and also be I think being a woman I'm not thinking oh I want him to wear that because I think I'd look great in it I'm completely subjective so I look at you and tan skin and you know you've got a bit of a quirky personality so I'm definitely not going to put you in a really serious suit where you feel uncomfortable and it just looks very disjointed with who you are as a person so it has to flow so yeah the pictures pop up in my head I can see a tiny tiny swatch of fabric and know exactly what that would look like as an entire outfit and clients kind of trust in that and 
we do have a hundred percent guarantee. <laughs> but um, thankfully, they've they've loved it. If we listen properly and we do our job properly, and not just go yeah, 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 they're telling us what they want, but we'll just do what we want anyway. Then we get it right. You're a therapist, aren't you? And a friend, and a confidant, and a and a tailor. Yeah, because we know you know everyone's life history as well. And people say things that obviously never leave <laughs> whatever room we're in. Like, um, that like really, it's it's an honour, really. So I, I have a great relationship with suits because I used to wear suits all the time. And as you quite rightly spotted immediately, they were not kind of your conservative plain suits. I wear suits that I felt reflected my personality and enjoyed them and played with them. Uh, then the pandemic hit and it felt like a juncture. It felt like a kind of watershed moment. And I'm very wedded to that smartness to a way of kind of disguising my waistline, as you mentioned before. You can't even see my waistline on this podcast. I don't know what you're talking about. But anyway, and I still have this love for suits and I want to play with them differently. But I know it's something that's been discussed a lot in various places. But how do you think the pandemic affected people's relationship with clothing generally and particularly with smart menswear? Yeah, no, it was, it was fascinating. And I've got a lot to say on this topic that I kind of almost don't know what to say. but. When I started my career, it was like navy suit, charcoal, navy. Which shade of navy blue do you want with shade of charcoal? But now I think it's exciting. I mean, it might terrify some other tailors because I have the, a design eye. Um, I think about it differently, so I'll see textures and feel fabrics, etc. That I welcomed it. I was like, thank God, now I've got a chance to offer so much more. And I did have a little bit of a meltdown so I thought oh no the suit's dead and all you saw was articles the suit's dead the suit's dead tie's gone forget it everyone's gonna be walking around in pajamas and um and then that whole smart casual business casual thing came in and men were a bit fed up of you know lounging around in their pants and t-shirts <laughs> so they were like I don't want to wear a suit but I don't want to look like a slob so where's that bit in the middle and I read this book called Who Moved My Cheese. Very cute, simple book. But it's like you can stay stuck and think like, well, the suit will come back. It will. Let's all pray. Or like navigate to something new. And I kind of took that exploration of like, what does this all look like for men now? And it's far cooler. So I've designed a lot more products around it. And now we design bespoke leather jackets, bomber jackets, raincoats smart jeans, knitwear even, and men are quite enjoying having the entire wardrobe created for them within a tailoring reason. So, yeah, and as you say, hallelujah, no more navy and charcoal unless people have one. But, yeah, so it's more playful, linen suits, cotton suits. Yeah, you can play with that lots of different ways. I have a collection of Travera ties from the 1960s. Oh. Lovely, slim. Yeah, it's a really interesting material that, that I get out and look at longingly. But now I have, I have a, a long relationship with, with suits and use them differently now. I don't wear them. I, I mean, I never really wore suits formally, but I feel like a, the suit needs to remain an integral part of my wardrobe. Yeah, I think it, the thing about a suit is it makes life a lot easier. It's a bit like a suit is what a dress is to a woman. Put one thing on, you're done. Put a bit of accessories on it and it mixes it up a bit. Um, Whereas now I think the confusion comes with 
what is smart casual for the office, what's smart casual for the weekend, what's over the top, what's under the top, you know, and what's business casual. Is that different to smart casual? You know, so it's like, oh. Um, so the suit just says, these, these are three things you need, well, suit and shirt and shoes, really. Uh, so, and no ties. So let's talk glasses. What happens when somebody leaves you, they've bought a magnificent outfit from top to toe, they've got a very smart pair of shoes on, you meet them, they come back to see you, and they're wearing a pair of crap glasses? I'm trying to think how many, well, yeah, they're probably, I'm going to probably notice this a lot more now. Client oh, you will. <laughs> I know. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I will be selling them your services. I am... Um, I'm always drawn to tortoise shell. You're probably like, God, say there's loads more offering uh, than that, but to- like chocolate brown tortoise shell style glasses. Um, I mean, I'd love your tips about style of glasses to pair with everything because I tend to say, like, if you're wearing chocolate brown shoes, you know, to have glasses kind of almost matching. And this is a very generalized rule because I have to admit, glasses isn't something I've thought about. And definitely will probably sleep about it, dream about it tonight. <laughs> I'm like, why don't I know about this? Could drive me mad. Do you wear glasses? I don't. I'm really lucky that I had 20-20 vision. Now apparently got 40-40 vision. As I said to my husband, I said, apparently it means I can now fly um, a jet plane. And he said, apart from you, can't. <laughs> so where, how often do you get your eyes tested? Um, every couple of years. That's pretty good. Are you t- are you being honest with me? You look like you were, you look like you were saying the answer that you thought I wanted to hear. No, I do no because this is funny because my husband's because the my children say oh I keep getting blurry vision. It happens to be that they've actually got dyslexia, and I said you don't have to go every year. Um, and my husband's like yeah, like go every ten years or something. I was like no, I think that's a bit much. That's silly. He said surely you only go to the opticians when you think you have a problem with your eyes. I said, we well, take a car for an MOT every year, not when there's a problem. I was like, I'm confused. This, <laughs> But yeah, no, generally probably every two years. You've given me the opportunity to give a public health warning. Thank you for that. It's not like we, it's not like we arrange this line. But when you think, when you think how much time you spend on your phone, mm-hmm. when you think how much time you spend on your computer watching a screen, the modern way of life, the way that the way that we use our eyes has changed dramatically. And it's really important for people to get their eyes tested regularly. And I go further than that when I say regularly, probably every every 18 months, two years, and maybe a year if you have a reason to to want to check. But and I go further than that as well, and I'd say go to a small independent optician that's going to have a proper lengthy look at your eyes. So that's the medical side of it. That's the but there's an aesthetic side. You know, if somebody's if somebody's wearing the chocolate brown suit that you mentioned, they don't need to wear necessarily brown shoes for that combination to look right, do they? No. So I mean, so there's like with terms of colour of suits, it's the chocolate brown shoes with something like a softer blue or green. So I think more shoes to match with the glasses. So yeah, I'd be intrigued to know what colour glasses would go then. So what I, what I really want to say here is that Karen and I, when we are having conversations with people about eyewear, when we're styling people with eyewear, we have the same conversations as you. And we look and we listen for people's personalities, people's environments, 
Um, it might be an occasion. It might be a business meeting that they want to have a specific look for. And I'm sure you have exactly those conversations. Someone says, I've got a hugely important meeting. I'm flying to New York. I'm going to meet this guy. My business pivots on this. I want to say about myself, I am professional, but fun to work with, and you're going to enjoy this. And so there are, there are so many ways to do that with eyewear. And I really want that to be part of the conversation of, of the tailor and of, of every aspect of, of fashion as well. And that's something that's been lacking in our industry. I mean, you, when, you, when you look at your industry, when you look at Savile Row, and it's traditionally been quite conservative and difficult to break into and quite foreboding for the consumer as well, let, let alone a, a tailor, a female tailor trying to break into that kind of very traditional men's world. It's the same in eyewear as well. So there's so many parallels and similarities. Yeah. Now, I always fear the day when the, and I do use a local independent, you'll be delighted to know. Um, yeah. Now he's really cool, actually. He's a bit kooky. And I kind of fear the day where he says, I need glasses because I, you, I know you'll dispute this, but I don't think any glasses suit me. I was like, I look like a librarian. Nothing wrong with a librarian. But I'm like, I don't know if they suit me. I might have to have contact lenses. I, it would be my pleasure to sit down together and, and show you how we use our eyewear and how we try and... It, there's a physicality, just in the same way that there is with the suit. There's a physicality that you respect and you accentuate certain features and everything else. And then there's, a, a, there's an emotional side that you want to get across that reflects someone's personality. And so you can do it with eyewear as much as you as you can do it with any other item of, of clothing. I like the way you call it eyewear. That's cool. You know, rather than saying glasses, glass because glasses actually sounds a little bit odd when you've after you've said eyewear. Because eyewear sounds kind of designery and cooler and like it's just it's another part of expression. Just cool. It's it, I mean it's around it gives it that kind of air of of styling. But there is a medical side, a medical necessity which is really important and has to be respected in, in, in eyewear. But at the same time, you want to say, you want to say about yourself, this is who I am. I'm in, in the instance that we talked about, I'm professional, I'm interesting. And I don't know whether you do that necessarily with a with a thin tortoiseshell pair of glasses or whether you do that with something that's just got a little bit more presence about it in the way that you personally want that presence to come across. So you you can do you can do colours that are just slightly off black, like like Blue greys. We call we we have a blue grey that we call midnight, and I often present that to people who want to go to a financially based meeting to say, well, look, you know, like I'm I'm smart, I'm cool, I'm professional, I'm wearing a nice suit, nice tie, and everything else, and look at this pair of glasses. I'm not hiding behind it. It's part of who I am, and it's it's there's a level of interest in there, just like you do with your fabrics. There's a level of interest in there that takes it away from the ordinary pinstripe or whatever it is, just something that elevates the clothing. That makes you feel like you're wearing something by Alexandra Wood. Yeah. No, you're literally saying what I say to clients that I talk about colour a lot. And I say, wearing colour, people go, oh, I don't know about that. And I say, no, the thing is, people think of colour as like, it's not some Jackson Pollock artwork explosion. It's like um, subtlety and just, I said, you can choose blue. It's just what right shade of blue, which shade of blue is right for you. So it's the same as you're saying with the glasses, that subtle change, it's the softness, subtle. It does not mean, right, we're going to have colourful, uh, you know, glasses, going to be bright pink and red. It's the, yeah, understated, but 
oh, that's a bit different. That looks nice. Where are they from? You know, it's interesting, but not disjointing. Absolutely. We've got to dress people from their toes right up to the top of their head, not just stop at their neck. So it's been a fascinating conversation. Alex, have I got you thinking about how people can use eyewear and how you can think further above the collar line? Yeah, definitely. So I, I'm already thinking in my head, talking about the videos we talked about at the beginning, where um, we do something together, which actually showcases the, the whole thing, because um, now it's got me fascinated and I'm sure my clients would want to know about it as much as they want to know about their socks and shoes. That would be fantastic. Alex, thank you so much for joining me today. Alexandra Wood, it's been an absolute pleasure and really, really fascinating. Thank you. Pleasure. Well, I wonder if I converted her. You can see all Alex's work at alexandrawoodbespoke.co.uk. As for us, please do follow us on social media at Kirk & Kirk. You can also get in touch via our website at kirkandkirk.com or drop us an email on info at kirkandkirk.com. And don't forget to follow this podcast too so you'll get notified of all future episodes. Thanks again to Alex and to you for listening. Hope you'll join us again. But for now, from me, Jason Kirk, it's goodbye. Goodbye.